electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Carl Quintanilla. You're listening to CNBC's Tech Check. Our show is live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Good Friday morning and welcome to Tech Check. I'm Deirdre Boza with Julia Borston. John and Carl are off this morning. Intel shares under pressure this morning. We've got CEO Pat Gelsinger this hour, first on CNBC. Snap shares, take a look at them. They're surging today inside that earnings beat and the jump in user growth. Later, we will talk Twitter and its fastest revenue growth in seven years. But we're going to start off with Intel, those shares down at nearly 3%, often a warning on current quarter margins. Intel did post a beat on the top and bottom and saw PC unit sales rise more than 30% year over year. Notably, CEO Pat Gelsinger, who you'll hear from in just a moment, said the global chip shortage should bottom out by the end of 2021. But that supply constraints could be an issue up until 2023. Our colleague John Ford spoke to Gelsinger last night on the quarter, but also about those global foundries acquisition rumors. Here's what he said. We expect to see consolidation in the future. We're not going to address any specific rumors uh, that might be in the industry, but we're a big player. I expect that we'll be a consolidator uh, as those natural effects take place. Can the director talk to me? That full interview rolls out in just a few minutes, so don't go anywhere. Julie, let's talk some snack, though. That stock is flying today. A huge beat of its own on earnings and revenue. Year-over-year boosts of more than 100% there with CEO Evan Spiegel saying those iOS security changes had a lower-than-expected impact, strong user growth. Also the story here with Snap reporting nearly 300 million daily active users up 5% since April. And Julia, another big part of this story was its guidance. I mean, this is a company that's just firing on all cylinders. And as Spiegel has said, it actually works better post-pandemic in the wild. So there could be more good stuff to come here. There could be a lot of other interesting things to come here. Now, I think a key part of Snap's success story is augmented reality. This is a company that's invested in augmented reality. I'm not just talking about the funny glasses that people are not wearing yet. What I'm talking about is these lenses that people can use to try on products, to try on watches or sunglasses or clothes. Snap has been investing in these and advertisers are chasing this. 200 million people use augmented reality on Snap Daily, which is a crazy number to me. And the idea is that that is drawing advertisers into this new way to reach consumers. It's a lot easier than trying on clothes in a dressing room these days. And one thing that Evan Spiegel pointed to that I think we're going to want to keep our eye on is maps. This is a new way you're going to be able to use augmented reality in the future one way for small business advertisers in particular to really find a home on Snap and a way to reach consumers. All right. And speaking of sort of diversifying revenue, we got to get to Twitter as well. That was a big part of their story. Shares, take a look. They're still higher following a much bigger pop after hours last night. It beat on the top and bottom of its own, posting its strongest revenue growth since 2014, a 74% year-over-year increase Jack Dorsey was bullish on super follows and tip jars and Bitcoin, of course. Julia, 
again about this sort of new product lineup too. I'm interested to hear what you thought about what he said about audio, live audio. It's results and guidance though indicate that it is doing pretty well uh, relying on advertising as well. Yeah, look, Twitter did increase its revenue guidance for the third quarter as well. And Deirdre, what I think is so interesting here is this is a company that's absolutely succeeded at picking up the pace of product innovation. Dorsey said, we are going to be making a lot of changes. That means we're going to be failing. That's why they've had their their uh, Reels alternative um, that was their short form stories at the top. They're dropping that. They're putting spaces, which is the audio feature on top, and they're going to be doing more experimentation. And that means more failure um, to figure out what's going to really stick. And that means really listening to the consumer base. We also have a little bit more of a sense of when they're going to be rolling out more of these features. They said that the ability to sell things on business profiles, sort of a bigger push into e-commerce, that's coming in in coming quarters, as is the expansion of a Twitter blue. So that's going to be more opportunity to have a subscription service. They're going to be adding more features and also more price points there. So I think, yes, advertising is working, but they are looking for other opportunities to generate revenue. And I think this company looks really different than it did just a couple of years ago. Dee. Yeah, I don't think you can argue with that. And also, you know, especially ahead of those iOS, Apple iOS um, changes kicking in, that's going to be important. I know we didn't see the full effects of that in this quarter. Our next guest believes that social media giants will continue to flip those growing audiences into ad revenue. Snaps, one of his top 10 holdings, River Park Ventures CIO Mitch Rubin with us now. Mitch, when you look at a name like Snap, though, what it has more than doubled, more than tripled, actually, over the last year, up another 20 percent today. Is it too late to get into this name? Should investors perhaps be looking at more of a comeback story like Twitter? No, I, well, we think you should own both. Uh, it's really, really hard to find durable growth businesses that are still at the early stage of a giant secular trend. Uh, they need great management teams. They need a big market. They need the ability to execute. They need a great business model. I think both these companies have it. Uh, there's always pullbacks in these stocks. You know, you look back to earlier this year, both the stocks were down on the growth value reversion trade. And, um, you know, you should buy some today and you should wait and buy some when they're down when the next uh, time somebody he wants to sell it for some short-term reason. Okay, well, what about the other social media networks, especially these sort of blowout results from Snap and Twitter? How does that bode for Facebook and Pinterest next week? Yeah, we, we own both of those as well. We think social network is uh, one of the great uh, global media stories for the future. These are the cable nets of today. You know, if you think back 20 years, uh, when advertisers try to reach customers to sell product, to launch product, to build brand, um, they're trying to find audiences that they can relate to and then measure the impact of those ads against the audience. And then the companies themselves have to build audience and build tools for the advertiser. And these businesses uh, have shown the ability to do that for a long time. Google's been around for 20 years. Search is still growing multiple 20 percent um, with strong margins. Facebook uh, ads on Facebook cost about 50 bucks a user. On uh, Snap, they're about 10 bucks a user. On Twitter, they're 20 bucks a user. And we believe all of those are going higher. If you think about it, Facebook's ads per user are growing 33% still. Uh, so the growth of 100% plus at Snap and 60-70% uh, at Twitter means these businesses are a long way from mature. Well, Mitch, we can't talk about targeting users without talking about these Apple operating system changes. 
Deirdre just referenced it, and we didn't really see a massive impact this quarter. The company said it's been sort of moderate so far. Snap said they were pretty relieved that the people people seem to be opting into t- tracking more than anticipated. But there's still a lot of unknowns about the third quarter. How do you anticipate these Apple operating system changes will impact not just Snap and Twitter in Q3, but also what we hear from Facebook next week? Yeah, I mean, this is, a, you know, this is a new technology. It's a fast changing landscape. Think back a couple of years, everybody was worried about GB, GPDR or whatever al- alphabet soup it was at the time. What you need is to invest in a business that has the ability to adapt and innovate on the fly, but is also providing a great service to their customers and the advertisers. Uh, Apple, we think, does a great job protecting their user base, but the customer has the ability to opt in uh, these co- these companies have massive direct user bases, so they're not reliant on Apple or Android or anybody else. They have a direct relationship with their customers. And the truth is customers want to see relevant ads, and they have the ability to ignore them. And so in any given quarter, there could be some hiccup in a company's execution or in some new technology, and their ability to manage around it and still thrive, uh, both on behalf of their customers and on behalf of advertisers, uh, means that these, you know, we should expect lots and lots of changes and the bigger companies with better management teams will manage around them. We're not particularly worried. You know, 70% of this quarter included the iOS changes and both these companies ripped right through it. But Mitch, I, I want to just press you on this because, you know, the majority of people said that they did plan to opt out. We don't know what those numbers will actually end up being. And yes, of course, people have always had the opportunity to ignore the ads. But do you not see this as a headwind at all? And if not, what do you think the biggest risks are going forward for these platforms? Well, I I think the biggest risk is always execution and competition. I think the customers, you know, whatever they may say in a poll when you call a thousand people and you get a response, you know, you, you know what they do by how they act. And so user growth, user engagement, are super strong. Uh, we know from our from our research that the advertisers are finding incredible ROI from advertising on these mediums. Advertising is not an evil, uh, and so people, you know, they can turn off ads, they can go private. Um, but for the most part, most consumers are interacting in social media spaces because they want to find other things they're interested in. They want to find products. They want to find services. To the extent they're not interested in or they ignore them or they annoy them, they turn it off. And so, no, we're not particularly worried about, you know, whether Apple changes a user engagement tool and whether most customers don't turn it off. It's been the ability to turn off has been around since the beginning of the Internet. Most people don't do it. Well, it hasn't been quite as easy to do so or straightforward. But Mitch, if it's not advertising changes, then what in your mind is the biggest risk? Is it regulation, particularly for names like Facebook and Twitter, which I realize over the last few years has not really moved the needle whatsoever for investors. But could that be something you keep a closer eye on this year when we have new enforcers that the regulators? Mm -hmm. You know, what, what I find funny about the regulation argument is the bigger companies with better resources usually get the most benefit from a higher uh, enforcement regulatory environment because they have the tools to comply and to convince their advertisers and consumers to stay with them. It's the smaller innovative companies that are usually hurt by increased regulation, which is 
generally strange when Congress always points to wanting to re rein in the bigger companies, but they make the regulatory regime hard to comply with. The, the, at the end of the day, the, the biggest regulator is the consumer themselves. If they don't like the program on TV, they turn the channel. If they don't like how a company is, uh, is, is providing a service to them, they turn it off and try something new. And that's, that's how all the other search engines died mm -hmm. and Google thrived. That's how the other social networking companies died and Facebook mm -hmm. thrived. So what we're mm -hmm. most worried about is the companies continuing to wow mm -hmm. their customers with great products and services to innovate uh, and to build a compliance team so that they can continue to show the advertiser and the consumer that their dollars and their eyeballs should be spent on those sites. Mm -hmm. Well, Mitch, I'm sure we'll learn a lot more about the impact of those IDFA changes in Q3. Thanks so much for joining us. Now, speaking of regulation, senators are targeting Section 230 to fight vaccine lies on social media, introducing a new bill that would remove the liability shield for companies such as Facebook should they promote, promote false public health misinformation. We should note that we have Casey Newton on later. He spoke to Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg yesterday, but Deirdre? <laughs> yeah. He did. And he spoke to Zuckerberg about the metaverse, which raises a whole other slew of regulatory questions. I think Casey asked, if you can't do it in 2D, Julia, properly, or you're going to get a lot of heat for it. How do you expect to do it in 3D? Looking forward to that conversation. Uh, meanwhile, also coming up, we've got Intel CEO Pat Gelsinger. So please stay with us. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. <laughs> That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. <laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Chinese education tech names are getting hammered this morning with some stocks down as much as 50%. Take a look at that board. Ouch. Let's bring in Eunice Yoon for more on this developing story. And Eunice, question we've asked over the last weeks and months is where and when would this crackdown stop? But it seems to be engulfing even more sectors. Yeah, that's right. And just in the past couple of hours, five companies, uh, TAL Education, New Oriental, YQ, COE, ZME, all of those companies have posted statements on their websites here, uh, largely saying that the regulations have not yet been announced and the companies have not received any formal notification yet about these regulations. However, in Chinese media, uh, the reports have been uh, quoting a document um, and saying that private education and the clampdown on it has begun starting here in Beijing. Under this new policy, all private tutoring firms must register as nonprofits. They are banned from raising funds from stock markets or foreign investment. And then 
Importantly, the document says those who have violated the regulations shall be cleaned up and rectified. So that has been stirring a lot of speculation that listed education companies are in Beijing's crosshairs. Also, big tech companies such as Alibaba, Baidu, um, these companies have uh, funded many of these ed tech firms. Now, the stated goal of the restrictions is to try to um, help alleviate stress for children and bring the cost down for parents so that, in theory, uh, they could have more children uh, along the lines of another Beijing policy, which is the expanded three-child uh, policy. The clampdown includes a ban for private classes on on the uh, after-school tutoring, I should say, on the weekend, during public holidays, school vacations, and after 9 p.m. So that is the stated goal. But because the focus of the document has been so much on um, the importance of a public school education and about barring foreign money, there's also a lot of speculation that this could be about political control as well. Yeah, you know, such a fascinating story with so many potentially complex implications. Thanks for joining us. Meantime, in a first on CNBC interview, Intel's Pat Gelsinger spoke to our John Ford last night after his second earnings report as CEO. Take a listen. Overall, hey, we would have bigger numbers for the second half if we weren't limited in supply. So overall, we think that's the case for the industry and for us, and we're working to build more uh, product. You know, first half to second half, we have more expense coming into the business, particularly as we you know, start bringing on more of our 10 nanometer or 7 nanometer costs. So we have some unique one-time you know, things, which are just good news as we move into the next process uh, technology nodes. We expect ASPs to be fairly stable first half to second half, partially because of those supply constraints. And we have a unique one-time charge in the fourth quarter associated with our high-performance uh, computing uh, business. Uh, that, you know, as you, you might have noticed, uh, John, I just did a big reorg, and we're going to put a big emphasis on that business, so a great growth opportunity for us for the long term. So overall, I think it's a pretty positive story for Intel, and if we can go find ways to build more products, it's going to be a banner year for Intel. Now, you said that you on the call that you're not going to address specifically the rumors around uh, interest in buying global foundries, but you also said that uh, you expect some consolidation in foundry given the need for resources and uh, really advanced process technology. So tell me a little bit more about the circumstances under which you would purchase to grow foundry. What do you have to find that would be worth buying? Yeah, and overall, my point was is that, boy, the, this is a very expensive industry. You know, it's big and challenging R&D requirements and then big and challenging capital requirements. You're always moving forward to more modern nodes. And we expect that the EUV generation, you know, just everybody needs to go there over time. And as a result, those are the conditions for a consolidating industry. And thus, it's going to be hard to be a small player. You're just not going to be able to keep up. And as such, we expect to see consolidation in the future. We're not going to address any specific rumors uh, that might be in the industry, but we're a big player. I expect that we'll be a consolidator uh, as those natural effects take place. 
clearly in our foundry uh, business, you know, we're focusing on our modern nodes and our leading edge nodes. We're getting great interest, 100 plus customers in the pipeline. And I'm gonna talk more about that on Monday as we have our Intel accelerated events and update on our process and packaging uh, roadmaps as well. So overall, yeah, we're not ruling out M&A, but we're also believing that, boy, if good opportunities emerge, we're gonna take advantage of them. Uh, now, tell me about what you're seeing in terms of shortages that are affecting your ability to go out there and get revenue. I mean, the client compute really seemed to outperform, you know, up 33%, uh, I believe. But then at the same time, you said you're still constrained there. How, how much is that going to affect even, say, Q4, which tends to be, you know, at least in terms of uh, sell through to consumers? Uh, a, a big time in the industry. Is that part of what we're seeing constraint-wise for you in, in Q3? Yeah, we'll say constraints in two areas. One is our supply chain, right? The things that we require to build our products. And in particular, people talk about substrates. You know, silicon goes on this organic substrates, severe limitations in that area of the industry for us and for others. The second area of constraints is what we call match sets where, hey, they may have the CPU, but they don't have the Wi-Fi chip or the memory chips or the LCD display, so they can't finish the full laptop. So you're sitting here with this half inventory to be able to put the whole product uh, together. And that is really disrupted you know, because some of those match sets, they don't have foundry capacity coming on some different nodes of technologies that's creating it. Some of those nodes are being challenged by the auto shortage or medical industry shortage. So just an enormous amount of supply chain disruption. And overall, that's limiting our supply and that of the industry overall. You know, we gave good guidance for the second half of the year, and we believe that, boy, if we're able to find more products, build more, squeeze our factories a little bit harder, you know, we're going to be able to exceed the guidance that we've already put out there in the marketplace. Everything is going more digital, as you know, John. Every aspect of human existence and everything digital runs on semiconductors. So it's just a tremendous time. And as I've said, I believe the semi-industry and digital everything has a great decade in front of us. When you came in in February, you were talking about what Intel needed to do to come back. And then there was a little bit of a, a slip on server chips for the end of the year. I think a lot of people are wondering, do you are you still as confident and is the timeline overall on things still about the same as what you expected when you saw things in February? Or have more areas turned up that make you think, yeah, I'm still confident, but boy, this is going to take longer uh, than I might have expected, even based on uh, the conversations and the looking that I did under the hood before I was officially CEO? Yeah, and overall, I'd say the timeline's about the same, John. Right. Obviously, some things are better, some things a little bit worse, but overall, the timeline's about the same uh, as we would expect. And you know, we're building back. We expect to be more competitive in 22, 23, unquestioned leadership as we go in the 24 and 25. You know, we're going to talk a little bit more about that on Monday with our Intel Accelerated event, with our process and packaging uh, updates. You know, clearly, you know, not every product is going to be on time or perfect. But boy, we are making a lot of progress. And you know, with the data center products in particular, you know, a huge amount of new features, new capabilities, higher core counts, 
breakthrough technologies like new memory interfaces and new capabilities that the industry's excited about. One of them is called like the CXL, this new exciting memory bus interface that we're pioneering with the industry new AI capabilities. And all of that has just taken a little bit more time to get validated for a high quality, rapidly ramping product in the first half of next year. So overall, we're on schedule. We've also seen the talent coming back into the company, you know, which, you know, that's maybe the best marker of all. You can watch more of John's interview with CEO Pat Gelsinger only on CNBC.com. And Intel shares now down about five and a half percent on those margin concerns, as well as the ongoing chip shortage. Now, shifting gear from Intel over to the Olympics. The opening ceremony for the Olympics is today on NBC, CNBC's sister network. And despite the game's one-year delay and the lack of spectators in the stands, the games are expected to bolster NBC Universal as well as Discovery. Now, NBCU, which has the domestic rights, says ad revenue is outpacing the $1.2 billion brought in from the 2016 Rio Games, saying Tokyo will have more advertisers than any other games in Olympics history, with 80 new advertisers. And that's thanks in part to the draw of new digital ad options. And with Peacock streaming many of the events, analysts see the game is a key opportunity to drive adoption of the ad-supported streamer. Benchmark writing, quote, the Olympics should further acclimate existing and likely many new Peacock users to the superior viewing features of AVOD, that's ad-supported streaming, relative to linear channels. Now, Discovery, which generates more Olympics revenue from its sub-licensing than it does from advertising, is offering the games on Discovery Plus in the eight European markets where Discovery Plus has launched the streamer along with free trials of that service. Argus saying that Discovery is looking to the games and then to the Winter Games, which are coming up in 2022, as a major promotional vehicle for its new service. So we'll have to see what updates we get from Comcast and its earnings next Thursday and then Discovery the following Tuesday on the game's potential impact on their relatively new streamers. D. Yeah, Julia, I was watching the opening ceremonies this morning, and my five-year-old, who's never seen a Summer Olympics, was absolutely mesmerized by it. So it still has that magic, despite uh, no viewers in person there. Meanwhile, take a look at markets. The NASDAQ 100 hitting another intraday high just a moment ago. What a far cry from how the week started out. There's a lot more tech checks straight ahead. Stay with us. Canva presents Unexplained Appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? The real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. Resetting here near the bottom of the hour, I'm Deirdre Boza with Julia Borston. Major averages looking to post a four-day win streak to close out the week, and that comes after that 700-point Dow drop on Monday. And we're seeing another S&P intraday high a moment ago as well. First, though, it's time for a news update. Let's get to Rahel Solomon. Good morning, Rahel. Hi, Deirdre. Good morning. And here's what's happening at this hour. Shares of American Express leading the Dow with strong second quarter results and forecasts of continuing growth in travel and entertainment spending. Although the CEO says that corporate T&E budgets will not return until 2023. 
Earnings season is off to an extremely strong start. Profits are on track to post a 78% jump from year-ago levels. That would be the best quarterly growth in a decade. Sam Adams, though, posting one of the biggest earnings misses of the quarter week. Sales in the hard seltzer category driving the disappointing results here. Sam Adams also lowering guidance for its once-hot seltzer products. Earlier this morning, shares of Boston Beer plummeted 26%. That would be the worst one-day sell-off in the stock's history. The stock now down closer to 24%. And General Motors is recalling Chevy bolts for a second time due to batteries that can catch fire. More than 68,000 bolts are affected from the 2017 through 2019 model years. GM also issuing strict warnings to bolt owners limiting charging and use of their recalled vehicles. You're now up to date. Julia, I'll send it back to you. Thanks, Rahel. Meantime, Mark loves the metaverse. Our next guest sat down with Zuckerberg in a rare one-on-one interview yesterday. Writer of Platformer Casey Newton joins us now. Casey, great interview with Mark Zuckerberg. But explain to me, what does it mean for Facebook, an ad-supported social platform? What does it mean for that to be a metaverse company? Well, we're going to find out probably over 10 years. This thing is still in its earliest stages. But one way that you can think about it is a move away from Facebook's traditional advertising business, although I'm sure they will still find ways to put ads into VR. Mark Zuckerberg talked with me a lot about uh digital payments, creating virtual goods, using cryptocurrencies, empowering creators and artists, creating virtual performance spaces. So uh, if if he has his way, this metaverse is going to enable essentially an entire economy. And that means all sorts of different ways for, for Facebook and other companies to monetize it. Casey, so we basically are going to be all living our lives in a virtual space created by and owned by Mark Zuckerberg. And if, if that's the case, even if it's many years in the future, is it does it make sense for Zuckerberg to be talking about this right now when there is so much regulatory scrutiny of the company, not just from an antitrust perspective, but also in terms of the way they have perhaps allowed misinformation to spread on the platform, which has been a critique of the Biden administration? Yeah, certainly I think the the timing here is rather surprising. As you note, the government is currently trying to break Facebook up, and now here's Facebook saying we want to be a bit bigger. But at the same time, I think Zuckerberg would also say that in his view of a metaverse, it's not owned by any one company. Uh, lots of companies participate in, in this, and they're much more interoperable than the tech giants we have on the internet are today. So I suppose if Facebook wanted to make an argument that this would be a pro-competition thing, they would say, we want to be one of many companies building these parts of the metaverse, not just one. Casey, uh, I don't know if you saw it. You probably can't, but this meme that we just had up, it had uh, Zuckerberg looking very serious talking to Congress and a young Zuckerberg very excited talking about the metaverse. And I know that you guys talked about this in your interview. As a kid, he said he has, there it is. As a kid, he said he has had his eye on this. He's been thinking about it. Um, And it was very telling how he said that Facebook was just getting started when smartphones were gaining popularity. He would have liked to be more involved there. So this is sort of him getting ahead of what he thinks will be the next big, biggest thing, but also really control, right? It's almost like Apple and Google have control of the app store. Is he looking at controlling being the glue of the metaverse? 
That's exactly right. I think that there is a subtext throughout this whole interview that he is just totally fed up having to live on other people's platforms, right? Apple in particular has given <laughs> Facebook no shortage of trouble over the past couple of years. If he can own his own platform once and for all with something like the, the Oculus uh, hardware and its app store, he can start to set the rules. So yes, I absolutely think that's a big part of his metaverse plans. Okay, so where does that leave, say, Fortnite and Roblox, right? If the metaverse, um, you have to be able to switch between worlds and bring your users and everything else between them, who's best positioned to sort of control that ecosystem? Is it then Facebook because they are so ahead of it? Could it be a new player? Yeah, I mean, it could be any of those things. I think that Zuckerberg in particular is paying really close attention to what Fortnite is doing, also to what Roblox is doing. Fortnite has already done some sort of metaverse things. For example, um, IP from different movie studios is there. You can dress up as a DC Comics carrier, uh, a character, or a Marvel Comics character. That is sort of very metaverse-like, and Tim Sweeney has talked a lot, including in court this year against Apple, about him wanting to build a metaverse himself. So. It's possible that Facebook, Roblox, uh, Fortnite, others all come together to be part of this thing. Uh, I'm sure there will be other new players along the way, uh, or maybe they'll all fail and it will be only new players who are building it. But I think the important thing is that some of the, the smartest and best capitalized players in the tech industry right now really do feel like this is going to be the next wave of innovation over the next decade. So Casey, if the metaverse is the next wave of innovation, but it's still several years out, Tell me what you think that's going to mean for the more near-term opportunities. Does this indicate we're going to see a lot more commerce, a lot more entertainment on the platform? What, what, what should we expect for maybe three quarters down the road instead of three years down the road? Yeah, I mean, so for, for Facebook in particular, I would say it's all about creators and commerce, right? On the commerce front, they're putting shops everywhere they can across their family of apps. They're building tools for merchants. Uh, and then on the creator side, they've announced a billion dollar fund to try to get more creators on the platform that Facebook will then monetize eventually, not this year, uh, but by uh, taking a cut of the, the tips that they're getting um, and the other sort of monetization strategies they offer. So uh, commerce and creators are going to be where Facebook is making its big bets now. And of course, they're hoping they can hang on to those uh, people as we move into this more virtual augmented reality world. Casey, I could talk about this for hours more, geek out on it. Uh, great interview. Thanks for joining us with it. We'll talk to you again soon. Meantime, our next guest's largest position is in Twitter and says the next leg of growth will come from creators. Tech Check is back in just a moment. Our next guest is bullish on Twitter, saying the stock is his largest position, making up about 70% of his portfolio, along with some call options. In a recent post, he writes, Wall Street doesn't know it yet, but soon content creators will be paying sizable royalties to Twitter. He is the author of the Substack newsletter, The Bear Cave, and a good follow on Twitter, by the way, at Stock Jabber. Edwin Dorsey joins us now. Edwin, welcome to Tech Check. And I guess my first question to you is, how soon will creators be paying Twitter? I mean, the company first has to get people to use its tip features and other platforms have been here far earlier. Uh, absolutely. Thanks so much for having me on. Uh, so, so Super Follows is in beta, beta testing right now with some users. Uh, Esther Crawford, the head Twitter engineer, tweeted that they expect to roll it out very, very soon to everyone. So I think it's going to be a lot sooner than people think. Uh, Twitter's been clear that they plan to release things early and iterate. So I think the first version of Super Follows won't have everything people expect. 
But I expect it to be sometime in the next month or two, we're going to see Twitter turn on super follows for everyone and start earning a ton of that revenue. So, Edwin, I have a broader question, though, about this idea of people spending money on Twitter. Everyone is so used to Twitter being in a, a free and open service. And yes, maybe you or even maybe I might be willing to pay a little bit because we are super users of Twitter. But how much of that audience of the overall Twitter audience do you think could actually be converted to pay? Is this still a niche going to be a niche product? Julia, it's tough to say at the start. One thing that Twitter has going in its favor is I think a lot of online creators who are on the platform today are going to push their follow followers to either super follow them on Twitter or buy paid products from them through Twitter. So I write an email newsletter. I know once super follows comes out, I'm not just going to have that as an option. I'm going to actively push my email subscribers to super follow me on Twitter. I think that's going to be a good thing, pushing monetization. Another thing to consider is Twitter right now has credit card info on no people with blue, with ticketed spaces, with super follows, with e-commerce. Once you get the credit card info from a user for one thing, it becomes a lot easier to sell them on another because they can super follow with one click. They can pay with one click. That's another thing that's going to be going in Twitter's uh, advantage in the long run. Right, but it's going to get those credit card numbers into the system. Edwin, thanks so much for being with us. We'll talk to you again soon. Absolutely. And the stock on your screen is up almost 50% since January. Credit Suisse takes it to a new street high this morning. Find out what stock we're talking about. That's next. Credit Suisse taking its price targets on Google and Facebook to street highs this morning, citing a big recovery in the broader online ad industry. The firm betting that Facebook's 200 million plus business profiles could become paying advertisers, while Google could gain a second wind through advertisements on products like shopping and maps. Both stocks hitting all time highs today. perhaps raising the stakes ahead of earnings next week. Uh, meanwhile, a bit of funding news to bring viewers this morning. Sources tell me that delivery startup GoPuff is set to close a $1 billion round, valuing the company at $15 billion, up from $8.9 billion in March. Now, this really underscores the battle in convenience delivery, where both Uber and DoorDash are making big runs, as well as what some might call the frothiness in private markets. With this, GoPuff will have raised $2.5 billion dollars through three rounds in just 10 months, more than tripling its valuation. I'm told the new round was fueled by inbound interest. Blackstone is a new investor and existing investor, Fidelity, doubled down on its previous bet. Also told that the majority of the new funds are earmarked for global expansion, especially over in Europe. But at the same time, Julia, I mentioned DoorDash and Uber. They are hot on GoPuff's tail here at home in the U.S. Data from Edison Trends shows that Dash took market share from GoPuff over 2020, a lot of it becoming the number one player. And Julie, of course, we also have to mention that GoPuff is a two-time CNBC Disruptor 50 company. So do check out our weekly newsletter for more. Sign up on CNBC.com. And Julia, you wrote the intro to this newsletter I noticed this week. I did write it. You got to sign up for the newsletter, everyone. Meanwhile, shares of Swedish auto parts maker Vianeer are up big this morning. This after agreeing to be bought by rival Magna International. We've got the CEO of Magna. That's next here on Tech Tech. Stay with us. Goldman up this stock to a buy last month. And just last night, Magna buying driver assistance supplier Vianeer for around $4 billion. Phil LeBeau joins us now with the CEO. Phil? 
Julia, thank you very much. Let's bring in Swami Kodagari, who is the CEO of Magna International. Uh, Swami, tell me about this deal and your vision for incorporating Vianeer and its technology into a very extensive suite of, uh, of technologies that you already have at Magna. Hi, Phil. Uh, good morning and happy Friday. Uh, it was one of the important uh, pillars of strategy, as we talked about to the investors in April, saying we are going to continue to accelerate investment in the growth areas that are relevant to the car of the future, which is electrification, connectivity, ADAS, uh, being uh, the three prominent ones, I should say. Uh, so this is uh, part of that strategy that we are implementing. We always had a great foundation uh, in the assisted driving or ADAS domain. Uh, when these two businesses to come together, the acquisition of Vianeer, this transaction, strengthens that a, a lot more. Uh, if you just look at the complementary nature of the business, it completely fills the gap in terms of sensor suite, in compute, in terms of all the software features. And I'm really excited that we are welcoming about 3,800 engineers, 7,500 in all employees sure. from Vianeer. So this is a great start for us and, you know, a lot of untapped potential in a fast-growing area. Swami, it sounds great on paper. You're paying $3.8 billion, but let's be clear here. Vianeer, which is based out of Stockholm, has been struggling to get to profitability. Why do you believe you can take where they were struggling and turn it into a profitable part of your business? Uh, Phil, a lot of uh, the fast-growing technology areas is really about uh, getting scale. And I've talked about it previously. The intent here is to be able to develop a scalable modular platform. But once you have that, a lot also depends on how many times you implement it in different programs and different platforms. I think with the scale that Magna has, uh, I, we are really positive uh, that we can do a lot of that stuff. And if you look at the software talent and what's happening in this growing area, bringing all the synergies together, whether it's testing, whether it's validation, whether it's you know, tool chains and so on and so forth, all of this coming together will actually accelerate uh, uh, you know, the profitability going forward. And, right. and we are really looking for the long-term sustainable shareholder value here. Swami, one last question. Uh, I know you guys are, are working with Fisker. You're going to be building the ocean over at your uh, final assembly plant in Europe. Uh, any movement or any update on building a final assembly plant here in the U.S. as more companies, startups, look to start building uh, full, complete vehicles? Uh, Phil, I think the Fisker program is going well and on track, and we continue to look at many opportunities that are coming. And as I said before, uh, one of these days when we have the right mix of customers and the right volume and the right roadmap, uh, you know, we are going to start acting on what we always said. We are open to having the right footprint in North America. Swami Kodagiri. Thank you, Swami, joining us from the company's uh, headquarters in Troy, Michigan. Uh, guys, as I send it back to you, don't be surprised if we see more types of deals like this. Driver assist technology is red hot and it's crucial to the future, especially when you're talking about autonomous and mobility. And as these suppliers are out there, companies like Magna are going to look at them and say, you know what, let's make a deal. Guys, back to you. Yep, we know it. And Phil, thanks for, for bringing that to us. If you missed part of the show, don't forget to follow and subscribe to our podcast. Listen anytime, anywhere available, wherever you download your podcast, Tech Check is back in one more final break.
It's been a busy week of earnings, and there's more next week. Listen to this. We have Apple, Microsoft, Alphabet, Facebook, Amazon, AMD, Qualcomm, Tesla, PayPal, Pinterest, all on deck. We mentioned social stocks at the top of the show. And if this is a precursor, Julia, uh, this could raise expectations for Pinterest and Facebook. They better not disappoint. Yeah, well, the pressure is on for Pinterest now. We see that stock up about four and a half percent on the positive uh, earnings surprises from Snap as well as from Twitter. But it seems, Deirdre, like the quarter was good for advertising and these social ad platforms are going to benefit. We have to note that Facebook shares are up six and a half percent today um, on that credit, the Credit Suisse note, as well as the Twitter and Snap earnings and Alphabet, which we also hear from next week, that share up, those shares up about 3% as well. So the, the optimism is high going into those big earnings next week, D. It is. And of course, there's the ad story on social media, but also you mentioned Alphabet and Google, the cloud story, right? We're going to have um, Microsoft, Alphabet, uh, Amazon all coming up with um, a lot of questions on can they keep up this growth. Uh, Alphabet shares up another 2.6% today. A lot of these mega cap tech names, Julia, have been hitting record highs going into the earnings season. It comes back to this theme that expectations are so high. Can they deliver? That could perhaps be the thing that knocks them off their perch or keeps the momentum going. Meanwhile, Julia, yeah, uh, one that's more thing we just want to right. mention that Bitcoin is holding above 32,000, uh, Julia, as crypto remains volatile this week. And uh, just another mention, if you haven't seen my live stream with Tether CTO and General Counsel, catch that on our digital page. That'll do it for Tech Check. Have a great weekend. You've been listening to CNBC's Tech Check. You can always catch us live weekdays at 11 a.m. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.